Get ready to talk sports with Daryl. Welcome to Sports Info UM featuring Daryl Oliver. Daryl knows the sport like nobody else. From former players to coaches to the great figures of the NFL, you'll get the inside scoop on what's going down today in football and other sports. Now here's Daryl. And welcome to Sports Info UM. Hey, we got another week and another week of big time sports going on in the world. You know, oh my goodness, who would have ever thought that Russell Westbrook would get traded? Oh my goodness. What is OKC going to do? Russell Westbrook got traded? And of all people, who would have thought that Russell Westbrook would have gotten traded to play with his old teammate, James Harden? Come on. And then they just throw Chris Paul out the door. Oh, my goodness. And, you know, Chris Paul has one of those humongous contracts. I mean, Chris Paul got a contract so big. He just, it, and, you know, when you make that much money, people ask you, well, can you give us a, what they call a friendly neighborhood discount? Chris Paul's like, no, I don't think so. I'll play for a sorry team as long as you pay me the $200 million that you owe me. But, hey, man, I can't blame Chris Paul either. He's 34 years old. And there's stories out there that he may join LeBron James. Now, he may take a little less money to play with LeBron James because that's kind of almost ensuring him a championship. And Chris Paul has not had a championship in his career. And he's 34 years old. That's something we're going to have to think about. I think that's something all of us going to always be th- You know, he's always going to have that in the back of his mind. You know, I need a championship. That's going to solidify my legacy, a championship. I agree, Chris. I agree. But, hey, guys, that's enough of that. Tonight. We have a legend on our show. I mean, we really have we have a legend coming up on our show. You know, I mean, Doug Smith. Hopefully, he's gonna we're gonna, we're gonna be able to get him on tonight. Um, I mean, this guy's legendary. You know, he wrote for the um, the New York Times, USA Today. He's talk, he wrote about the French Open, the Wimbledon, U.S. U.S. Open, all kind of tennis. He's a tennis extraordinaire. I mean, talked, wrote about Jennifer Cabriati. And when, he, when I say wrote about these people, not only to write about them, he he interviewed these people and talked to them. So hopefully we're going to have Doug on the show tonight. And um, I know we're trying to get him on. But um, and, and hey, Doug, if, when you when you when you look him up, Doug Smith, his his background reads like a. Like um, Forrest Gump, I'm telling you, man, this guy was in in um, in Alaska at one point in the military. Um, he's covered uh, NFL, Super Bowls. Um, he's covered Tiger Woods' first major championship. Um, he's covered the Olympics. Oh man, I I, I really can't wait, and I hope that we're going to be able to um, to get him on. Um, Hopefully we'll be able to get him on. So we'll just keep trying, and, and you never know. But in the meantime, and in between time, it's just so much going on. Oh, Doug, what's happening? No, oh, okay. Hi. All right. Doing how's, good. how's it going? Okay. Good. Hey, Not ladies bad. and gentlemen, Not we bad. have Doug Smith on our show tonight. How's it going, Doug? Okay, Daryl. Good. 
like to tell the people a little bit about yourself. I was just giving a little brief introduction about some of your historic events. You know, I mean, from Wimbledon to the U.S. Open, um, Super Bowls, Tiger Woods. My goodness, man, you've, you've done a whole lot of things in your career. What would you think well, would be the most yeah, but exciting Well, basically, I, I uh, had the pleasure of uh, covering uh, tennis. Uh, uh, in fact, uh, I joined USA Today in 1986, and the next year I became the uh, tennis journalist. And that meant that's a new thing for uh, newspapers then. Uh, we didn't have to cover everything. I just became, I just cut, my beat was the tennis world. So I had the, uh, I'd say the unfortunate <laughs> pleasure of of traveling to Paris every year. Well, actually, I, I, I went to Paris for the French Open about 10 times, Wimbledon wow. about 15, and Australian Open, and of course the U.S. Open. So uh, that was my beat for the 15 years that I worked at USA Today, and it was quite enjoyable. Wow. Fifteen years you went to um, Wimbledon. Uh, yes, Wimbledon wow. and the U.S. Open, but that's just going to New York every year. Yeah, and you know when when, when um, who would be one of the first stars that you covered in, at Wimbledon? Would it have been during the in the eighties of the um, of the um, Pete, Pete um, Sampras era? Pete Sampras, yeah. In fact, I, uh, when I started, there were four U.S. Uh, juniors. Sampras, Michael Chang, Jim Courier, and Andre Agassi. So I followed them through their careers. When they began as juniors all the way to each of them winning a, a major title. Uh, I think Ch- Chang was the first one to win in 19... 19- 89, Pete Sampras won, I believe it was in 1990, Andre Agassi got his in 92, and Jim Courier won the French Open, uh, I think it was 92 as well, or oh, 93, it's been, uh, it's been a while, but uh, they all uh, were fascinating personalities, and I kind of enjoyed each of them in their own way. I thought Andre was, uh, you know, really a showman, but he, he was also a perceptive, uh, a perspective. You know, he he thought about everything that he said, and he, in fact, he his book Open is, I guess, the best one that I've that I've read so far among those that I've uh, covered. I thought he was uh, pretty revealing in terms of his personality yeah you know out of all of those guys I've, I've always thought that Pete Sampras was the uh, most quiet and and laid back hardly ever said anything even in interviews it was hard to get him to say a lot and uh yeah I, I guess that's true although I thought Pete um you know the the, the game has changed in so far as uh, the person the um the way it's played now, um, I think the Nick Bollettieri era brought in just uh, baseliners. But the most exciting players at, during that time were the serving volleyers. Uh Boris Becker, John McEnroe, Pete Sampras, Goran 
Ivanovich. <laughs> I can't even pronounce his name now. But they were all, uh, they were better athletes. Uh, now, the game has, has, it's become a baseline battle, and, and it's not as creative. And, I, in fact, I'll, I'll probably do something on uh, on the game. I, I have a blog. I haven't been writing on it because I've been I've spent a few years uh, helping a, uh, a friend write his um, memoirs. So uh, I'm going to start trying to do a little bit more sports writing in the next month or so. And before the Open, I like to just do something pretty big about the way – even the top players now, like uh, Serena, uh, Venus, and all the women, uh, you, you don't see any women playing serve and volley. And and during the time that I first started, the serve and volley is we're winning all of the major championships. Becker and McEnroe, Sampras, they actually won more than the serve and volley is. But what happened was that when... Uh, Nick Bolletieri, uh, Rick Macy, and even Chris uh, had their academies, had their camps. All the players Chris, would, learn Chris how, would learn. Yes, Chris Everett. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. All the players would learn two-handed backhands, and a lot of them would play two-hand on both sides. And you you can't play serve and volley that way. And unfortunately, that's. That's the way everyone was teaching during that time. So they don't have any really serve and volley teachers, uh, even though the some of the top players flirt with uh, uh, serve the serve and volley game, particularly on grass because that's a fast surface. But they don't really they haven't learned the, the tactics. Uh, I've seen some of the best players, Venus, Serena, and even. Uh, Steffi Graf uh, try to come up on the on, on their serves, but they they hit topspin, and that makes it easier for a good serve a uh, baseliner to to pass you either going down the line or across court. So uh, it, it's a game that I, you know, unfortunately, I don't, I don't know if it's gone for good or not. But I, I think I saw where Pete Sampras said not too long ago that he. If he were still playing, he would be playing that. And I believe uh, John McEnroe has said something similar. So uh, it's a lost art, and I, I, I miss it. <laughs> In fact, uh, one, one thing, when I was, I, I, uh, I covered Julia Serving uh, in basketball when he was with the ABA. Dr. And the Dr. coaches Jay. were Kevin, huh? Dr. J. Yeah, Dr. J. Uh, when the coaches were Kevin Lockery and uh, Rod Thorne, and they were tennis fanatics, and so each time that uh, I would cover, and we, we would go on the road, he would um, Kevin and Rod would say, "Be sure to bring your your racket, because wherever we went, uh, we would always try to get a game going uh, during their time off." And uh, there was one. Other guy, Bob Goldshaw, who was a TV reporter, uh, we would play doubles. And we'd always talk about how how different tennis would be 
if the really great athletes like Julius and like uh, Michael Jordan or LeBron James and all those, if they play, if they learn to play tennis early, and if they uh, were able to bring their physical talent to the game, it would be so much. These guys are good. these are guys are great champions. I'm not going to take anything away from them, like. Uh, J- Novak Djokovic, uh, Roger, although Roger does play occasionally, and he knows how to play serving volley, but, uh, and um, Rafael Nadal, they all uh, basically stay at the baseline. And yeah, the, the that, that m- makes the game a little, uh, go ahead. Their game seems to be all about power, power, power. And, you know, yeah. um, for me personally, and I've I followed tennis since the 80s, um, I've always enjoyed watching women play because they they play the game. It's not just a power one or two times you hit the ball and it's over. And now that now we do see men striking the ball a lot more than, than we used to. At one point, it was just who could, who had the biggest – who had the biggest serve and it was over. Now we do see. These so you guys don't like serving by, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that, yeah. That's true. That's true. And, and in fact, the, uh, Pete Sampras would. He, the reason why he was so good at Wimbledon is that he had the one of the best serves that uh, we, we we've seen because he yeah. would uh, he would win the serve with aces, uh, unreturnable serves. Yeah, and as a matter so of fact, easy to for me, him. at one point. Men's tennis was not so attractive. It was not in- exciting. It wasn't entertaining to me because it was the matches were just who was the most powerful, especially when guys like Pete Sampras would play one of these guys that's ranked 112 or 114. It was just, it wasn't even a match. It was not competitive. It wasn't entertaining. Hey, but um, Doug, we got a call on the line. Damon, what's going on? We got Doug Smith, renowned writer with um, USA Today. Um, New York Times. What's going on, Damon? Hey, how's it going, Daryl? I'm doing good. Yep. And how are you, Mr. Smith? Hey, okay, Damon. You got a question? Yeah, it is. Yes, I, I have a question for you. Um, what would you say your, your would you be your biggest cover cover story? You know, uh, throughout your your tenure as a writer. Oh, gee. Um, there were some that uh, just the, the the moment was such a great uh, personal uh, experience that uh, you know I kind of look back and and think how in the hell did I, I mean, how in the world did I get to have this opportunity? I covered the uh, the Masters in '97, and when Tiger Woods won that, uh, I was there on the 18th hole when he and his dad were. Hugging and uh, I did a story on how Charlie Sifford and uh, Lee Elder and those guys who came before Tiger was so proud and they talked about uh, the experience and and how uh, he was able to make the final breakthrough that is uh, to win a major title. Uh, Lee Elder played the Masters, but Tiger was the first one to win. So one of the four Grand Slams, and just being there at that time was a very special um, uh, moment. And I just started playing golf myself, so I, I, I got a, 
a, a great kick out of just uh, watching uh, the best players go go through that process. But I didn't cover golf that, that often, but I was able to be a part of a team from USA Today who covered the Masters in 97 and 98. And, and, and uh, you say you started golf. Uh, my uncle, they're, they're trying to introduce me to golf, but I'm still trying to um, push them back a little bit because that wasn't my thing, but I guess that might be a calling too. Well, can you give me some tips on um uh, I'm the wrong one. one. <laughs> I wish I could, Damon, but, you know, uh, this is a sport that you will enjoy as you grow older. Uh, it is something that you will be able to get uh, a lot out of because it's a way of getting exercise when you're not as young and you can't run as all, as far and you, you don't have to run as much. In fact, you don't have to run at all, which is one of the reasons yeah. why I enjoy it. So, But there is a, a great deal of... Uh, uh, technique that you do have to learn in terms of the putting and the uh, drives and all the other aspects of the game, but uh, I don't I, I, I don't know if um, it's it's something that I would have uh, moved into had I not uh, slowed down to the point where I'm not able to play tennis like I used to. Uh, hey Damon, man. Yeah, basketball, and I used to play basketball when I was in high school and college. Uh, and um, Damon, um, Mr. Smith actually won three national championships in tennis while he was in college at Hampton University. Oh, yeah, that's that, nice. yeah. Uh, and, and in and in uh, in high school, I, I had the uh, pleasure and the <laughs> unfortunate. Uh, experience of, of playing against Arthur Ashe. Uh, he played for Maggie Walker in Richmond, Virginia, and I played for uh, Phoenix High School. When we were based in Hampton. And I played him about five or six times, and uh, Arthur and I became friends as well. Wow. Over the years, hey. in fact, uh, I used to see him at most of the events. Yep. Hey, Doug, before we get out of here, we gotta we got to take a quick commercial break. Um, Damon, we got to get out of here, man. We're going to have... We're going to have Doug on the other side of this commercial break. And when we get back, he's going to let us know what his record was against Arthur Ashe. Hey, guys, we're going to take a quick <laughs> okay. commercial break. When we get back with more sports info, you are on voiceamerica.com. Peace. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Have you checked out Teen Wealth Radio? It's a show for teens, their parents, and educators. Hosted by Brandy England. Along with regular weekly contributors, Teen Wealth Radio will cover the topics that teens need to talk about. Plus, we discuss a book of the week and a movie of the week. And each show will offer a challenge to our teen listeners that they can share on our private Facebook group page. Be sure to tune in to Teen Wealth Radio. Live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're tuned in to Sports Info UM with Daryl Oliver. Call him today at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Or send an email to sportsinfoum3793 at gmail.com. Now back to the show. And welcome back to Sports Info UM on Voice America. Hey, uh, we have Mr. Doug Smith on us, renowned sports writer, USA Today, New York Times. I'm telling you, you got to look look up Mr. Smith one day, Doug Smith. I'm telling you, his story reads like Forrest Gump, better than Forrest. Hey, Mr. Smith, so when you were in high school playing against uh, Arthur Ashe, you know, the legendary Arthur Ashe, how many times did you get the best of him, Doug? Tell us. No, I'm not going to tell you that. <laughs> no, uh, I actually, I played him uh, five Five times, six times. Uh, my junior and senior year, we played each other twice. Uh, once in Hampton and the other in uh, Richmond. And then I played him in the state championship, the black state championship, which was in Petersburg at Virginia State uh, College. And then I played him in the the national. Uh, Dr. Johnson was a black physician who... Uh, had a tennis court in his backyard, and he would invite the top players to, to uh, come to his house, and then we would go uh, to play in the uh, Charlottesville Interscholastic Championship, which included black and white players. But uh, I lost to Arthur in the uh, Nash in, in the state championship in the in the final, and I lost to him in the semifinals of the uh, national championship which included black players from across the country uh, one guy who was pretty good was uh, uh, Joe Williams in fact Joe was the one who beat me in uh, college as well in my junior year wow. and I did not beat Arthur, Arthur the, uh, I lost to Arthur in the state championship I think it was about 6-4 I played him tough the first set but then he just rolled all over me and I used to, you know, I, I, we used to talk about that because uh, I said, look, Arthur, you started playing when you were six years old. I didn't pick up a racket until I was 14 or 15. So I was, by the time I was playing you, I had only played for three years, and you, you had played for about 10. And he'd laugh and say, so you wouldn't beat me anyway. <laughs> uh, hey, uh, Doug, we have another call on. Um, Josh, we got Red on the line? Red, what's going on? What's up, Dale? Thanks for having me. Hey, man, thanks for being a part of the show. We got Mr. Smith, Doug Smith, renowned writer, USA yes, sir, Today. Man. Yeah. Yes, sir. Hey, Red, how are you? 
Good, yourself? Okay. Yeah, I'm just okay. listening to your story, man. That's pretty cool, man. You played all the ass. Yeah. Yeah, a long time ago in high school. Yeah. Wow. Covered, covered Dr. Wow. Dre. Yeah, and it's, this is yeah. one of the stories that, that when you read it, I'm telling you, when you read Mr. Uh, Smith, Doug Smith's bio, it reads like, I'm telling you, who's who. Uh, he covered <laughs> the Lynn Bias story. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I, was in, I was in high school then. I was in high school Yeah. Then. Yeah, that was I. Yeah, yep. And how how was that, um, uh, Mr. Smith, to cover something like that, which is such, which well, was that such was a, that was my uh, introduction actually to uh, USA Today. It was during my first three or four months there, uh, and uh, I, I was fortunate enough to uh, have friends who knew uh, the Bias's uh, parents, and through that contact, wow. I was able to get a. Uh, in fact, this was actually a page one, a front page cover story on interviewing them during that time. Uh, her name was Lanice, uh, his mom's name, and I think her father was, uh, is, uh, I, I want to say Charles, but I'm not sure. It's been so long. But, uh, yeah, that was a tough story to do because of, uh, you know, the... Uh, the the way he died, it was more like a police story, you know, and it was dying of an overdose and having uh, to interview the family and friends and stuff was, uh, but the reason why it was still big news is because no one had gotten a chance to talk to the family about it. Yeah. Yeah. That is yeah. big news. And there was a cover-up as well in that story. And as a matter of fact, um, Lefty Giselle, that was his coach, he ended up losing his job and his... Oh, his, yeah. His, right. Yeah, his legend was was fell in the dust with Lynn Bias, as a matter of fact. Now I don't mean it like that, but uh, his, his he never was the legend that he would yeah, have been and should have been. his legacy big time. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just some of the things that uh, that uh, and and you know I I could go on and on and on. Um, Mr. Doug Smith also has a Purple Heart, and, you know, and, um, wow. <laughs> Vietnam veteran. It, it, it goes yeah. on. I'm so telling you, my pop man. Thank you for that. Thank you for your service, man. Okay. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Yes, yep. sir. Hey, we're red. Thanks for calling, man. Don't be a stranger. We're here every Monday night. Yeah. And um um one more thing. Mr. Uh, Smith, the Super Bowl that you covered, was that in Tampa? Yes, that was. That was, a, I think it was the Giants versus Baltimore. And uh, let's see who won that one. Uh, um, that, uh, Did that, the Giants uh, win that? I, I think that was in, uh, i tell you what year it was, 2001, I believe. And, and and um, I think the I think the Ravens won that that Super Bowl. Might have, yep. I, yeah. Th- those were uh, chances I got to uh, cover the events, but that was sort of on a uh, a lone basis because, like I said, like I said, I usually covered just tennis throughout right. my career at USA Today. Yep. 
How is it? How yeah. is it um, covering the the, the, the uh, Williams sisters, Venus and Serena? And how is it? Did you ever have a chance to talk to Richard and meet with him? Oh yeah, I used to talk to him a lot. In fact, uh, uh, he had—I don't know if he's still there or not. He was in Palm Beach Gardens, West Palm Beach Gardens. It's about a two two and a half hour drive from here. And uh, occasionally, I would go up to see him, and I'd see the girls while I was there as well. But Richard and I were, uh, uh, I won't say we were friends, but uh, we were uh, uh, associates. Because <laughs> uh, occasionally uh, I've done stories uh, on him. And in fact, I did, did a story involving uh, the incident at uh, Indian Wells when uh, people in the stands were jeering him and calling him names and stuff. And he, Venus as well, and uh, Serena was on the court at the time, and uh, I'm, you know I, I think that's one of the times when she showed how just mentally and emotionally tough she can be because uh, despite all of the problems around her uh, during that time, she was able to win that title. And I'm so I, I was hoping that she would be able to get uh, through this last to Wimbledon because. It's going to be tougher now for her to uh, to win this next major title if she does it all, and mainly because you know she she wants it so badly. She would like to be she would like to have the record for the most Grand Slam titles. She has twenty three now, and if she wins one more, she'll tie Margaret Court Smith Margaret Smith Court, I think it is, and uh, I think she really wants that and. She's gotten to the final the last two or three times, and each time I think she just was uh, not able to control her emotions in, insofar as in those matches were concerned. Now, I didn't see this match uh, six when she lost 6-2, six, 6-2 two, six, two to Halep, but uh, <clears throat> I did watch the, uh, which was a classic, I tell you, that, that uh uh, Roger match against Djokovic. That was uh, some match. Yeah, it was. Uh, one, the longest match in Wimbledon history, men's. Yeah, but those yeah. guys, I mean, that first set, I mean, when uh, when you start fresh like that and you're able to sustain that level of play for five sets, it's it's just really tough to do. Yeah, that's unbelievable. I mean, your your conditioning, your level of conditioning has to be mm-hmm. something of, of another level to play at that mm-hmm. high a level of sports for five hours. Mm-hmm. That's just that's just impossible. Yeah. yeah so, so, it's so impossible but, but for you like uh, you prefer them to play in the the baseline as opposed. See, I always felt that you know if you're a great athlete, if you had great athletes playing, in fact, even these guys who. Uh, like Isner, John Isner, uh, Sam Query, uh, even uh, the kids from uh, France, Monfils. Yeah, I mean, those Monfils. guys are big, but they don't play serving volley. And if they had, if they had learned to play serving volley, I think they would have won uh, some major titles, particularly at Wimbledon and at the U.S. Open. I would agree with you wholeheartedly, Doug. I've always said that about Monfils. If he ever learned to just 
come to the net a little bit more and take chances <clears throat> a little bit more. And Monfils, we just talked about the conditioning level of um of Federer, Nadal, and uh, D- yeah, Djokovic. Right. Yeah. Monfils, his conditioning level has never ever been close. That's true. To those That's guys. true. <laughs> and to me, that has been his downfall in his whole career. But I guess my one of my questions is. Are we going to get bored as a tennis community looking at Nadal, Djokovic, and Federer? I mean, in any major tournament, tournament, we know that those three guys are going to be at the at the finals unless somebody is hurt. And whoever the fourth guy is, he's just dusting the wind. Uh, are we right. getting bored with these guys playing? And 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 take it. Look at Federer. He's thirty-seven years old and still playing at a level that he's playing yeah. the finals at Wimbledon, 37 years old. What does that say for the guys behind him, too? Yeah, well, I agree. Uh, and, uh, the, obviously, the only thing that's going to stop him is their age. Uh, Rogers, 37. I, I, I'd say I'd be surprised if he's, he plays more than two years. I, I would say maybe one, but... Uh, I don't know if he'll be able to uh, stay up there during that long because he did have a – he slid a, a little bit. Now he's still at least getting to the semifinals of those big events. But uh, let's see, he did when, – when was his – I know he didn't play the French. Did he win uh, Australia? I think he did. I think he did win Australia. Yeah. No, well, wait That could have been – Oh, I don't know. I see. I I don't keep up with with it as much, but uh, I I believe he he, he has won one recently. Maybe it was the last. No, it wasn't the last Wimbledon. But uh, I think he won one not too long ago. But but I can't recall. Anyway, I, I don't think he's going to be playing more than two years. I'll say one. <laughs> I I would I would agree with you. I think about in. He's going to be 38 years old next year's Wimbledon, you know, and who could ever th- thought that a, a tennis player could play at that level at 38 yeah, years right old? Yeah, right now, yeah, that's, that's amazing. You know? I but think one of the old-timers did. I don't know how long, I think it was Ken Rosewall who played till he was 39 or 40, and Pancho Gonzalez might, might have done that. But then the competition was not as keen and they didn't play as often. I, I mean, the the draws weren't uh, as large. Now they play 128, and when in the sixes and sevens they would play uh, draw of 64, and the top seeds would get by. So it wasn't quite the same. Yeah. Now I tell you one thing. I would like. In fact, I'm gonna when I do this story, I'm gonna try to encourage the USTA to. To set aside, uh, well, to to get some coaches who can actually teach the tactics involved in serving volley, and and it's not just uh, because it's a uh, it's the big server, but you also have to know when to come up to the net and the type of stroke that you should hit to get up there, and uh, and there's no lobbing in singles anymore, but if you if you play a serving, if you play someone like uh, Rafael Nadal, who you know you can't outlast from the baseline, or most people can't, uh, if you were a if you were a complete player, that is, you you, you can 
hit the ball any stroke that you want from anywhere on the court, you would, seems to me, you would want to bring him in because he doesn't want to play the net. So you get him into a, a, a game that uh, he's not comfortable with. These and the only way you can do that is baseline. to know how to know how to bring him up and not just drop shots, but hit short balls and hit know how to hit lobs, top spin lobs, the whole works. But that's something that uh, I'll probably do something on. In fact, I haven't been writing tennis for a long time there, but I'll, I'll I still have my blog, so I'll go ahead and do some of that when I go to the U.S. Open. I still go there every year. Um, Doug, you know, um, women's tennis, Americans' women's tennis, looks like it is in mm-hmm. pretty good shape. I mean, we look at um, Coco Golf and we look at um, yeah. Sloan Stevens, and um, uh, I can't think of the other young girl. Uh, she's um, Madison Keys is one too. Yeah, Madison Keys is another mm-hmm. young lady that's out there. Uh, so we 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 have some some pretty good talent um, at the at the women's. American level right now, so yeah. when I and what I'm really saying is we probably have about five girls, five young ladies, five ladies in the top thirty um, in American uh, tennis. Well, give 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 Coco a year, and I think she'll be there. In fact, she may even get there. Well, uh, the, the danger and the problem with her now is that uh, you don't want to have play too much. Uh, the the one the reason why. Uh, Serena and Venus are still playing is because Richard wouldn't let them play as juniors. I mean, they, they, they didn't play the USTA juniors or the, or the junior, uh, the world uh, junior uh, championships. They just played until they were eligible to play in the as pros, but only a limited number of, uh, of events. And I know that the family would probably want her to play more, but, you know, I, I think it would be in her long run to uh, go slow in terms of this first two years, not to play too much, because that's when I, you could I, get I, I injured and not play at all. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, um, a lot of people were upset with Richard um, because he wouldn't allow the girls to play at 14 like Jennifer Gabriati. And a lot of people wanted him to play them more and more and more when they came on the scene at 15. And now we look at a young lady like uh, Naomi Osaka who won the U.S. Open last year and got put out in the first round of Wimbledon this year. It's just really, um, so I think these are things that we have to look at and I think if they can use that roadmap that um, Richard Williams has shown them, I think a lot of young tennis players will be um, a lot more successful. Hey, um, Doug, I hope you can stick with us for one more through one more commercial break, man, and give us a little bit more of this storyline that you have that's glazing and blazing a trail throughout the world. Hey, guys, we got to take another commercial break, but when we get back, we hopefully will have Doug Smith still with us for a few more minutes. We'll be right back after these messages. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. 
The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned in to Sports Info UM with Daryl Oliver. Call him today at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Or send an email to sportsinfoum3793 at gmail.com. Now back to the show. And welcome back to Sports Info UM Voice America. We have legendary sports writer Doug Smith with us tonight. And I'm telling you, man, Doug Smith has covered everything from the Lynn Bias story to the Tiger Woods' first victory to the Summer Olympics in 1992 and 1996. Uh, man, he, uh, Doug is, is, a, is a man of many, 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 many stories, and he's written a lot about those stories, too. Welcome back, Doug. Appreciate you sticking with us and hanging out with us throughout this show. And, um, Doug, what, you know, we talked about the, the, the cover story that was the most exciting for you. But um, what was one of those stories that really touched your heart probably the most out of all these stories that you've written about and people that you've written about? Well, I think one that comes to mind now, I'm sure there are a number of them that I've had. But uh, And again, you know, I'm, my emphasis is on tennis because I learned to get, you know, my, I played basketball for my high school team and uh, the tennis coach was also the basketball coach was also the tennis coach and you know he literally dragged me out on the court because I didn't want to play I didn't want to play that sissy game I wanted to play baseball but he got me on the tennis court and right now I can thank Rufus Gant for that uh, even today because uh, it certainly has had a great impact on my life and the things that happened but anyway the the story that I did um, was a story of a Mother and a uh, daughter playing uh, <clears throat> Mick, uh, playing doubles together at Coppin State outside of D.C. I think it's in uh, Bowie, Maryland, I believe. And uh, it was just a, a touching thing to talk to to do because you know the the mother was uh, decided to go back to school. Uh, well, they played it at. at in college, and she decided to go back to college. And I don't know if she convinced her her daughter to to play, or her daughter convinced her. I think she convinced her daughter to play, and they played mixed doubles together. And they 
they did well. But the main thing was that, you know, the, the daughter got so much out of that, and, and you know, uh, not only emotionally, but the, the, the idea of the, the training that you have to do and the fact that your mother was your partner. Uh, it was, a, it, for me, it was a, a, one of those stories that uh, you, you, you hope would happen to many people, other people who could who have the talent but aren't sure they can do it. Uh, if you have someone like your mom who can be out there with you to encourage you, you'd be surprised how, uh, how, much, how far you can go. And uh, they didn't, I don't know if they won any titles or not, but they did win uh, some events. And I think that the daughter was slightly overweight, but uh, I think she was able to make the, uh, the kinds of adjustments that you have to make when you want to really uh, excel. And I think that she carried that over into her uh, education as well. Yeah, that is that is a, a touching story. And Doug, you know, we, we've talked about so many things that you've done in your career, but as a writer, you know, the hard road to glory, a history of black mm. athletes in America, uh, Zena, my life in women's tennis, the Zena Garrison story, um, whirlwind, the Godfather of black tennis. These are some of the books that you're involved in, some that you've written. Uh, would you like to talk about that a little bit? Oh. Okay, well, uh, let's see. Zena was the number one, the number four player in the uh, in the world when uh, she was getting near retirement. So uh, we, uh, she approached me about uh, doing her life story. In fact, it may not have been she who approached me. It might have been her agent. I'm not sure, but but I thought it was something that uh, I should do. So I, I agreed to do that. Uh, now, the whirlwind is the m more interesting, I think, because the reason why we had Arthur Ashe and Althea Gibson is because of Whirlwind Johnson. Whirlwind Johnson uh, was a physician. Uh, he uh, finished uh, Meharry, I believe it was, down in Tennessee, and he needed some way to help him relaxed during the, the strenuous time that he had uh, going to medical school, and he found tennis. So he, uh, there were maybe been about maybe about five, five or six or more other black physicians who decided that they wanted to play tennis as well. So they built tennis courts in their backyard because it, it was not easy finding a place to, to play because uh, of the laws of segregation during that period. Anyway, he uh, he built the courts in his backyard, and he during it after he got his practice started in Lynchburg, he wanted to help youngsters uh, learn the game, and so he decided to have a camp at his home, and he would invite the best black players to come there and train, and he would take uh, them out to. Uh, uh, compete against the white players in the uh, tournaments that were in the uh, Maryland, Virginia area. And there was one big one, the Interscholastic Championships, which was held in Charlottesville. And when uh, Arthur was in, in fact, I, I went to to Charlottesville in six, 
1960, yeah, 1960. And that was the year that Arthur lost in the quarterfinals to a guy named Billy Lenore. And that year, Johnson convinced Arthur that he, he had to move out of Richmond to St. Louis where he could play uh, the top white players and get stronger as, a, as an athlete. And he did that. He, he spent his senior year at Sumlin, I think it was Sumlin High School in St. Louis, playing the uh, Cliff Ritchie and a few more top players that were in that area. And that year, that 61, he went back to uh, the Interscholastics and he won it. And after he won it, they moved it to Massachusetts or something like that because I don't think they liked it, the idea of a, a black player coming in, uh, being able to uh, be the champion. Mm, so I felt it was very strongly that uh, we, we people needed to know about uh, Dr. Johnson's life story. I mean, I, I, I uh, started on it in the 80s, in fact, and then I got the job at USA Today, and I actually set it aside for almost 15 years because I, I was just too busy doing that job during that time. But after I left the USA Today, I uh, finished it, and I was able to get it published uh, in 2004, I think it was. And I also uh, campaigned to get Dr. Johnson in the Hall of Fame, the International Tennis Hall of Fame in Newport, Rhode Island. Uh, that took some, some work, too, because it, uh, you know, they kept saying who, they, no, no one knew him. I said, well, you know of Arthur Ashe, you know of Althea Gibson, and, uh, you, you, and I, my book had come out then, so I, I was able to use that as well to let them know that this was a guy who deserved uh, as much recognition as any of the other, uh, not only players, but contributors to the game. And they, he was finally inducted in, I think it was 2009. So that was a, that was a special m moment for me because I, you know, I went to his house and I was so impressed by what he was doing, you know, and he, he was paying up for this out of his pocket. He wasn't asking anybody else for help. He was, he wanted to see a black player win that title. And he wanted to see blacks become major title, major players in the, uh, the, uh, tennis world, both men and women. In fact, he also, Taught a, a number of good uh, uh, women players. I think Leslie Allen, who got to be number sixteen, I believe, uh, was among those he, he taught. So that was, uh, I would say, uh, you know, the most significant one in terms of uh, achievement, as far as I, I'm concerned. I, I was, I was, I've been really proud of that a bit, uh, that contribution I made. To the tennis world was was Dr. Johnson. Um, did he live long enough to see Arthur Ashe win Australian Open or Wimbledon or the U.S. Open? 
Yeah, he, he saw him. He died in 1970, and he saw Arthur win the U.S. Open in 1968. Uh, that was the first Open, in fact, and uh, he was there. In fact, I think, I don't know if he took a picture with him on the uh, court or not. I think his da- uh, Arthur's dad was the one who had a, a picture of him on the court. But I know we've uh, we've used uh, uh, pictures of Dr. Johnson and, and Althea and Arthur in the uh, eight American Tennis Association programs that we uh, that were being published every year at the national titles at the n- national championships. In fact, there's a national championship coming up in Fort Lauderdale the first week in August, I believe. The ATA is the predominantly black uh, organization that uh, allowed blacks who were interested in uh, the game to to play and learn competitively during that that period when uh, they weren't able to play in the USTA tournaments. Yeah. And... and uh... Um, Doug, before we get out of here, my producer just let me know we're running out of time. But um, in 1968, was Arthur Ashe, was he the only black participant in that um, U.S. Open? I think so. He might have been. Uh, now, the other now the, the thing to keep in mind is that during, that, during the 50s and maybe, I, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure he was the only one. He was a lieutenant in the army at the time as well. And actually he came over to Vietnam during the time I was there. So I made a special trip to get to Saigon to see him while he was in country. And, wow. uh, you know, during that time he, he had a, he has a brother named Johnny Ash and, uh, Johnny was in the service as well. And Johnny was in Vietnam and, uh, Johnny had to leave Vietnam when Arthur came over because at that time they wouldn't allow uh, brothers to be in country at the same time. Oh, okay. And I, I never knew Arthur Ashe went to uh, Vietnam. And, and was he was he a a tennis star? No, no he, while he went, was in well, okay, Vietnam. I'm sorry. He, he went he went touring with the Davis Cup team. He didn't. Okay. Right. He, yeah. 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 So, and, and before and fact, we get out of here, Doug, one more question. One of my favorite okay. tennis players growing up was Yannick Noah. Give me something about yeah. Yannick Noah. We got two minutes. Uh, yeah, now, see, here's a guy. In fact, you know, again, you, occasionally you'd see a great athlete in tennis who can play serving volley. <laughs> and Yannick Noah was that, that man. In fact, Noah won, and this is, uh, was unheard of. Noah won the French Open in 1985, serving Bayern. And, you know, you just don't suppose to be able to do that. In fact, I think he beat Matt Vlander in the final. Uh, so this, I, this notion, in fact, sometimes you hear that uh, the reason why they don't have a serving Bayern is, is because the, the equipment and, and, and all that is, it, 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 it's, it makes it tougher for serving volleyers to compete. But Sampras doesn't believe that, and McEnroe doesn't believe it, and I don't believe it. Yep. <laughs> and Yannick Noah showed that even on a slow, slow surface like play, he, can, he was able to go through 
seven matches and win the French Open title. Yeah. Serving and darling. Hey, Doug. Thank you so much yes, for being sir. a part of Sports Info UM, VoiceAmerica.com, man. You're legendary, and we got to bring you back someday soon. We got to talk about more sports, Doug. Thanks again for being a part of the show. Give a shout out to somebody. Okay, uh, the uh, the picket pals, my guys who I play golf with every twice a week. <laughs> Ken Arthur, Vern Stallings, uh, all of my. In fact, if I start naming them, somebody will get mad with me if I don't. <laughs> Thanks again for listening. Daryl Oliver will be back again next Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel for more Sports Info UM. We'll see you then.